Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about Pieces from 1982. Directed by Juan Piquer Simon, written by Dick Randall, Roberto Loyola, and Juan Piquer Simon. Starring Christopher George, Linda Day George, Frank Branya, Ian Sarah, and Paul L. Smith. In this film, college students are slowly picked off on their campus by a mysterious killer. If you're new to this show, we're going to talk about this movie spoiler-free for the first 15-20 minutes or so here, and then we will play a little bit of transition music and move into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen this movie, you can listen for a while, but once you hear that transition music, it's time to duck out and go watch this movie on Shudder, AMC+, Tubi, Roku, Peacock, and maybe a few other streaming services as well, or if you don't have any of those, you can rent it on Amazon. Uh... Ashwin, had you even heard of this? No, I'd never heard about this film before. How about you? I think I heard about it a long time ago from our friend Amy, who does our mm-hmm. cover art. But I hadn't seen it until last year uh, with oh. the encouragement of some of our Discord friends who are really into it. Oh, I didn't realize this was a rewatch for you. Interesting. This is a rewatch for me, but uh, this was a request from Mike L. a long time ago. Okay, um, cool. And I originally thought we'd do it as a Patreon episode, but uh, I figured, what the hell? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, like, was this a big enough movie back in the day? Like, I don't remember like hearing about it at all, like in the eighties or nineties. Uh, I mean, until you mentioned that we were watching it. Uh, how much buzz was there around this movie? I don't know what the buzz was around it at the time. Uh, I saw somewhere someone like passively mentioned on the internet how it transitioned into like one of the most rented movies at the video store, but I don't know if that was true. Yeah. I'm not sure if I even remember the VHS cover that well. I know. Yeah, I don't recognize this cover at all. I mean, it's a really cool cover, a guy with a chainsaw and a woman uh, in front of him, but uh, yeah, I don't remember this one at all. Yeah, yeah, I don't really either. Um, By the way, shout out to Old Man JB on our Discord server too. hes I don't think he requested this movie, but he's also one of its big proponents. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell in this day and age, post-internet, when the cult following for a film was developed. I'm sure it existed to a degree back then, but mm-hmm. the internet makes it so much easier to find this stuff. I think its cult following, I'm sure, has grown since post-2000s. Yeah, yeah like with DVD re-releases, uh, Blu-ray stuff coming out. Sounds right, like and streaming and just the easy availability of you know, people making lists of top 10 slashers or like little known slashers, etc. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. It's definitely having a, yeah. Post 2000s return. Yeah. So by the way, this is a slasher movie. It's also kind of, it's Spanish, but it feels a lot like a, an Italian giallo movie. Uh, its original title was Mil Gritos Tiene La Noche, which means the night, the night has a thousand screams and it's got a lot of the, uh, the giallo tropes and and trademarks like a black glove black gloved killer the voices are dubbed um but did you notice that the dubbing is a little more subtle than some italian giallos uh you know on the on the first watch no it didn't like jump out to me but uh on the rewatch uh yeah it was it was like really apparent uh yeah, yeah. um I it, think you didn't catch it i i caught it but 
I don't think it's as egregious as some other movies, and I think it's because most of the movie, or I mean most of the actors on set, seem to be speaking English. And a lot of those Jello movies, everyone's just speaking their own native language. Their own language, right? And exactly. then they throw the vocals on there and, and whatever different language they need to for distribution. Yeah. So it yeah. looks much worse in a lot of Italian films. Yeah, and the dubbing makes sense in, in that aspect when you have people speaking different languages. Why did they have uh, like this dubbing job done on this film if everyone was speaking English? That's a really good question. I, I know in Italy they don't even have sound recording equipment on set when they film a movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know if some of that uh, translated to, to this Spanish film or not. Yeah, yeah um, that could be it, right? And Italy has a whole industry built up around dubbing like there are dubbing studios and that's just what they do and they they crank it out and they're well regarded and there are even voice actors that are like highly regarded um and you know the proximity of everything in europe i don't know i don't know if they're able to use that same channel or if they adopt some of that movie making culture or what that might explain a lot of the the loud footsteps that we hear in like those old, old italian films i wonder if that's part of like the dubbing culture there's just like the one dude who does the footsteps. He got like, the footsteps guy. Yeah. At the end of the hall. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's always like, more footsteps, more footsteps. Yeah. Send, send it to Greg. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's our footsteps guy. Uh, no, that, that, that makes sense. What, what was, uh, so this was Spain, US, and Puerto Rico, right? As part of the production company? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was filmed, it was filmed in Madrid and maybe a little bit in Boston as well. Okay. Takes place in Boston, Massachusetts, but I think most of the filming happened in Madrid. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like much was shot in uh, Boston. Um, Yeah, yeah, it said Boston in in the credits, but then upon researching more, it sounds like maybe just some of the stock footage was from Boston. (laughs) Right, right. Um, what, like, I, I was trying to find, like, why, like, these three countries got together to make this film. Is it just a matter of, like, who was involved with it? Uh, being people from those three different countries or was there some government play here? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just who's funding the movie. Like the production studio is the, you know, those are the people making the movie. They're not necessarily the creative forces. I mean, they are to a degree, but I I think it's a lot of times the studios and the people putting down money to make this happen. So yeah, I don't know entirely why it's from a bunch of different places. It's filmed in Spain. The director is Spanish. Most of the actors are American, so... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know the uh the reason why why all the comb lingling and I didn't see where Puerto Rico came into play. Yeah, yeah, me either. I wonder if one of those production companies or one of the distributors are based out of there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yep. Um yeah, this director I, I think most of the people involved kind of have a history in exploitation type movies. Uh the director Juan Piquer Simone, uh kind of has a lot of credits to his name not many that i've heard of uh the title i was aware of was slugs from 1988 oh you've heard of that one yeah i know nothing about it i assume there are slugs but it was the only (laughs) title i was familiar with yeah um and roberto loyola the producer was italian um and he had a history of working in various roles in giallo films so actually you know his role as a producer might that might be part of the dubbing. Be like, oh, nah, yeah. don't even bother with sound. I'll, I'll just send it to my guys. <laughs> I got an awesome trick. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't wear shoes. I got a footstep guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, definitely, yeah, you can feel that Italian influence and and like even the name being translated in Italian, very interesting. Um, yeah, you look into the writer at all of this movie. The writer? Yeah, Dick Randall. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dick Randall was a producer, and Robert, I'm getting this confused. Roberto Loyola was a writer, I think. Um, he produced a lot of films as well, but he's got the writing credit. So does Dick Randall, oh, and Dick okay. Randall's also a producer. Oh, um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, and and uh, Dick Randall, though, like looking at his history, um, he, I, I think he's written like a lot of like hardcore pornos, which I don't even know if you call that writing. Uh, but I, I thought when, when I saw that, I was like, oh, this movie makes so much sense now, kind of seeing where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah, he was a producer of low-budget exploitation films. Um, Slaughter High is one of the more recognizable titles. I think I remember that VHS cover. Hmm, okay. And yeah, he did some porn, and he also produced some of the Emmanuel movies. Are you familiar with those? I'm not, no. (laughs) So the only reason I am is because a friend of mine in grade school had Cinemax, and we would stay up late to watch these. It's... (laughs) Like a series of softcore porn movies loosely based around a character named Emmanuel. Oh, cool. Any good? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, we were like 11 and watching them for one reason. But there are 48 official Emmanuel films. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and just series. as many, if not more, knockoffs. Damn. Damn. That uh, I'm surprised we haven't heard of that. Like, I haven't. That's not like more mainstream given how many installations there are. I think some of our listener, listeners might be reach out, might be reaching out and say, <laughs> I, "I know Emmanuel." I know Emmanuel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, the days of Skinamax. I have a feeling I'm not the only one who gathered around Cinemax at like two in the morning as a yeah. preteen. Yeah, yeah, Skinamax, man. That was that was a thing. What? Uh, thing. You don't think that's a that's probably not a thing anymore, right? That's a good question. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like so readily available now. That uh, right. I don't know if like premium TV showing softcore porn in like the middle of the night really has the appeal it used to. Sure. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of Dick Randall and exploitation films, he also produced movies in a subgenre called Bruce exploitation, which were essentially <laughs> knockoff Bruce Lee films. Did you hear yeah. about this? No, that's hilarious. <laughs> and he worked with an actor named Bruce Lee, Lee spelled with one E who was a Bruce Lee impersonator. And uh, I'm not sure if you noticed it, Ashvin, but Bruce Lee with one E makes a cameo in this movie. Yeah. Oh, so that isn't the real Bruce Lee? (laughs) No, it's not. Oh, my God. It's a Bruce Lee impersonator. That's insane. That's crazy, man. I didn't realize that. I thought it was like the actual uh, Bruce Lee. But yeah, now now that you mentioned that, it was only one E. Uh, Damn. That's interesting. (laughs) I'm surprised you thought Bruce Lee would stoop so low. I mean, Bruce Lee was in some, <laughs> you know, kind of exploitative movies as well. But uh, yeah, is, there's just so a much, whole nother bag. Yeah, there's just like so much crazy and like randomness in this film that like it's like oh Bruce Lee was in it, and, and I saw that like Bruce Lee was working with uh, Dick and in, in other projects. So I was like, ah, all right, whatever, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that makes way more sense. That's it's a Bruce Lee knockoff. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, I don't know that Dick Randall ever worked with the real Bruce Lee. Maybe he did, right. but probably not. Some of yeah. the covers even misspelled Bruce Lee's name to two two e's, so that oh. it really made it seem like it was the real Bruce Lee. But yeah, wow, but it totally was not. fell for that. Yeah, interesting. 
Um, I didn't, I didn't realize it. And I mean, they have the same last name in the credits, Christopher George, who plays Lieutenant Bracken and Linda Day George, who plays Mary Riggs, but, um, they were married. Right. Yep. Married for 14 years. And actually Christopher George, who played the Lieutenant died, unfortunately, a year after the movie's release of a heart attack. Oh, wow. That's young. Yep. Yeah. And he was only 52. He was also in uh, City of the Living Dead by Lucio Fulci. Okay, cool. And Linda Day uh, was in Mission Impossible. I feel like that's one of her bigger works. Yeah. Yeah. The Mission Impossible TV series. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool to have a, like an on-screen couple here. For sure. Um, speaking of things that Linda Day George was in, she was also in a 1977 TV horror movie called Ants, which has a pretty ridiculous cover if anybody feels like googling that is it about like monstrous ants or something it's it's actually just like a real low budget looking photo of a woman like holding her own boobs and there's ants all over her boobs oh (laughs) that sounds hilarious (laughs) is it her it's not her is it no i don't think it's her on the cover oh okay um paul l smith who plays uh the gardener Willard the Gardener in this movie also played Bluto in Robert Altman's Popeye. <laughs> oh, I could see that. Which that makes sense. Totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Is there a chance he thought he was playing that role in this film? That he was, he was actually, this Bluto was actually in this movie? Yeah. Like, was he, did he think maybe this, like, they were shooting Popeye? Because I, I feel like some yeah. of his, his acting in this made it look like he was in a different movie. Yeah. It's possible that this is part of the Popeye universe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Backstory. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this movie has a 46% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, 51% for users. Uh, Wikipedia says the budget's $300,000, but it's not cited. I don't know if you can really trust that. Um, and the box office was $2 million in the U.S. I'm not sure it had much of a U.S. release. I only saw it was released in L.A. I'm not sure if it had releases in many other cities but it was also released in Spain, but I don't have the info on those dollars. Okay, and total box office uh, was like $2 million? $2 million in said. the U.S., yeah. Yeah, and then you expect, uh, like, DVD sales, VHS probably did quite well. Yeah, I would guess. If, if they didn't do well back then, they're probably doing well now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, there are seven musicians... As listed as contributing to this film on Wikipedia. In the film's credits, they are collectively um, credited as Cam, like a group Ca- called Cam. Oh, Cam is a group and it's seven people? I think so, what I can gather. Um, it took seven people to like write that music that was just like one bass line, <laughs> like one note on a bass. One of them is Fabio Fritzi, the Italian composer who scored a least a couple of the movies we've watched so far. I think ah. maybe both of the Fulci movies we've reviewed. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I got some notes on the soundtrack for you later. But <laughs> All right, all right. I actually don't remember the soundtrack. Wait, hold up. Before we go too far, you watched this twice, eh? Yeah, I, th- I watched it once like two weeks ago, uh, and then I kind of forgot everything, so I watched it again like last night just to remind okay, myself. Okay, right. I think yeah. we were going to record this last week, and then we ended up not doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, let's see. Cool. Uh, question for you on the genre of uh, exploitation. Is that that's a genre? Let's do right? it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a genre. 
What what is it? Are you just like trolling like a an existing genre, like playing to certain tropes because you know people are going to eat it up, and you're kind of like having fun at at the expense of it? Yeah, I think it's when I wish I had a more formal definition, but it's kind of when you exploit one specific aspect of a film and just try to get people in the door with that specific element. Usually, an element that's maybe a little lowbrow, like violence, nudity. Um, and then there's all sorts of subgenres within exploitation. There's like non exploitation, women prison films, Nazi exploitation. Um, there's this documentary from a few, I can't remember if it was like a few years ago or like a decade ago. It's called American Grindhouse, and it's a really cool source for learning more about Grindhouse movies and exploitation movies. It's also a great thing to watch to just like get a list of movies to check out. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I, Grind, Grindhouse definitely plays into, I like that form of uh, movie. It plays into exploitation, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, and they're kind of almost the same thing, but Grindhouse not exploitation. Quite. I think yeah. that Venn diagram overlaps quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, you know, it's, it's not a genre I'm too familiar with, but like uh, the later, like ones that have come out in like the past like 10 years that pay tribute to that genre, usually I feel like there's like a self-awareness and like a smartness or cleverness to it where it's taking, it's like, yeah, it's exploiting a certain element, but it's doing so like kind of in an elevated manner where like it knows it's doing that and maybe like pulling it into like a different light. Um, do you think there was any cleverness behind this film or was it like straight up like, let's just get a bunch of naked people and kill them on screen? I think this movie knew what it was, especially considering the producers and directors and writers' background. Like, they had background in hardcore porn, softcore porn, Bruce exploitation. <laughs> they, they know what they're doing with these the type of films they make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not to that insult them, but they, yeah, yeah, they're exploiting a specific thing and 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 trying to really draw a crowd. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure we're on the same page going into this. Yeah. Um, there was a film scholar named Ian Conrick who notes in his book Horror Zone, The Cultural Experience of Contemporary Horror Cinema, that Pieces has scenarios similar to those found in adult films and has the same aesthetics as pornography. And I think with the background of some of the people involved, you can see that makes sense, but <laughs> I think it'd be fun, too, at the end to talk about some scenarios that happen in the movie that you might find in a porno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally, I think I've got that in my notes uh, somewhere. Uh, I think there's definitely some overlaps we can call out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of interest in possibly even a script that was written at one point for pieces too, but it never came to fruition. Yeah, seems like it lost its momentum. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that, I could see that like happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else on this movie before I hit the Ohio connection? Um, I think you hit every, yeah, you hit everything I had. All right. Well, our Ohio connection as always comes from our friend Alex who owns the jukebox bar and restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, go check out jukebox. They've got great food and great drinks and a great patio while the weather's nice. And Alex says, Pieces is a slasher film writ directed by Juan Piquer Simone about an unknown assailant that kills female students at a college campus in Boston using their... Well, maybe this is a bit of a spoiler. I'll, I'll leave that part out. 
The film stars, among others, actor Jack Taylor. He was best known for starring in low-budget European exploitation films of the 1970s, but also had several minor roles in films of the early 1960s, including Cleopatra starring Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. The music for Cleopatra was performed by famous composer Alex North. His filmography includes A Streetcar Named Desire, Spartacus, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and Viva Zapata, which stars actress Jean Peters, born in East Canton, Ohio. Oh, cool. Wow, that's a stretch. Uh, yeah, Alex had to go pretty far to get one for this one. Yeah, yeah, nice I job. I think that was pretty taxing on him. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, I've never heard of any of those, uh, or that movie either, Cleopatra. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yep. Viva Zapata. Wow, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think there's going to be a day on the podcast where we've covered so many big name horror movies that we have to start going into these like grindhouse exploitation, oh, man, less like recognizable the, names more often? Like that's all that's left? Yeah. Like, is it inevitable? I was thinking about some of the big horror movies that we haven't covered yet. And there's definitely quite a few, but the number's starting to feel more finite now. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, like there's the f- an infinite amount of horror movies, but the big yeah. recognizable names are starting to dwindle. Yeah, and uh, I feel like the volume of new films feels like it might have slowed down in the last few years, I, just because of the pandemic and everything, but feels like it's slowly picking back up. But yeah, I could see us running into an issue here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, I just found out today via the Discord server that the Salem's Lot remake is now kicked down the road from September of 2022 to April of 2023, so. Oh, boy. Yeah, the big movie's coming out the rest of the year. I mean, there's definitely some, but, and sometimes you don't know. You don't know what's going to be a big thing. And October's always full of releases that nobody saw coming. Yeah, a lot of direct-to-streaming stuff was popping up, too. Uh, Yeah, yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to that, because I don't know know if I would call myself a huge fan of this genre, would you? The the exploitation slash. not necessarily a huge fan, but I'm, interested in it i'm curious about it i'd like to just watch more of them for my own edification yeah i could probably do one or two more (laughs) that's that's probably it (laughs) all right it sounds like we're gonna have a fork in the road at some point in a few years yeah yep looking forward to it all right man well let's head into spoiler territory but um can I call you right back? My wife and I are having some trouble keeping up the with the lawn, so we're going to interview gardeners, and I, I've got to go interview a candidate right now, and then can oh, I call okay. you back when I'm done? <laughs> sure. Yeah, give me a call. All right, cool. I'll call you right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, how did those interviews go? Uh, you know, it was interesting. So this dude had all the qualifications we're looking for, but it was just so weird. He had one eye half closed all the time and his head cocked <laughs> sideways, and he just looked very suspicious all the time, like mischievous <laughs> almost. And he was holding his chainsaw the whole interview and rubbing it with a cloth. Um, yeah. I don't know. You think it's okay <laughs> to just go ahead and hire him? Seems that seems like the kind of guy you want working in a garden. Like uh, you want someone who's like naturally suspicious, right? Doesn't just like trust <laughs> exactly. everything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's sneaky stuff happening out there. 
exactly what you want. If anything goes wrong, you can just point towards the gardener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good fall guy. Why is he looking so suspicious? <laughs> it's Clearly it was day. him. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so our story starts out in Boston in 1942. A little boy named Timmy is doing a puzzle with a nude woman upon it, and his mom walks in on him doing this. She smacks him and calls him a dirty-minded brat, just like his father. Uh, She smashes a picture of his father. And then Timmy leaves the room and comes back with an axe and kills her with several blows to the head. There's blood all over him, blood all over the room. He saws her up with a hacksaw and then returns to his nudie puzzle, as one does, and... The cops come in since a neighbor heard his mother's screams and they find Timmy hiding in a closet pretending that someone else committed the crime. And that's what the police assume and Timmy presumably goes to live with his aunt after his mother's death. What did you think of this opening scene? Uh, I, I thought this was awesome, man. This is a, a great opener. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, you think he's just like doing uh, some something pretty basic because he's like talk, singing hump, Humpty Dumpty to himself. And then it's like this nude picture. And it's so relatable. Like uh, your parents catch you with like something you're not supposed to have, uh, like pornographic material. And uh, he kind of just, yeah, he takes it the wrong way and obviously uh, strikes back. Uh, so I, I, I thought it was really cool. It com- comes out of nowhere pretty good uh kill love like how uh, hard they went with like him like kind of cutting up his mother afterwards uh so i i really enjoyed it what, what did you think uh i think that i'm gonna add my to my list of concerns from our black phone episode that you find <laughs> chopping up your mother after she finds your porn <laughs> relatable we've, we've all been there man come on like what's how, how's a kid supposed to react when when they get caught with some porn like obviously you're, you're angry and he was so close to putting in like the last piece of knowing what a naked woman looks like. It's like <laughs> our, our version of the 90s when you're downloading porn and it's like going like really slowly and then you get caught or like someone picks up the phone and your internet's cut. I, I fell for that kid. <laughs> so close. <laughs> yeah. I almost knew what the bottom looked like. <laughs> uh, what, what were your thoughts about this? I think it's pretty entertaining. It's just like wild and out there and weird and it just, it sets the tone well. Yeah, yeah. It it takes you by surprise a little bit, right? There's like a lot of shock value here. You know, not really. I mean, I, I kind of you know what you're getting into with a movie called Pieces. At least I did. Yeah. Uh, well, like, yeah. I mean, uh, that explains like the puzzle. But like, you, you saw like the mother. Like she, she's like who, who kills their mother like that? Well, <laughs> apparently <laughs> you. <laughs> well, yeah. Like in, 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 in like your imagination or something. Like, yeah. Yes. This, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like a surprise because he's just such like a quiet kid there. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I was, I was kind of blown away by this scene. All right. Nice. Um, all right. So let's see. Now we cut to the present time and we're on a college campus in Boston and we see a woman skateboard into a mirror that's being carried and it shatters into pieces. The unseen killer witnesses this event and has flashbacks to killing his mother and working on the blood-soaked nudie puzzle. Hey, how and, do uh, we know? How do we know the killer saw that? We don't. We don't. I think that is <laughs> information this. in the movie that was not included in anything we saw on a final cut. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, on the rewatch, I realized that like that crashing mirror like tr- triggers the memory, right, of like the mother throwing something at the yes. mirror. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I think they just. They cut to the flashback. It's not like they show someone watching that and then having that flashback because, of course, that would reveal who the killer is. <laughs> I guess, yeah, sure, sure. 
Um, so yeah, and we'll periodically come back to insert shots of the puzzle being assembled throughout the movie. Um, and we see the killer in the present time opening up a box of his mom's bloody clothes, but we only see the killer's hands and they are covered with the black gloves, which are endemic to Jalo movies typically. This skateboarding girl, who was presumably just fine after skateboarding into a mirror, <laughs> is later reading on campus while a gardener gawks at her. This is Bluto. Uh, and she then gets her head sawed off with a chainsaw, and it's very easy to assume that it's this extremely suspicious-looking gardener who did this. Wait. The police uh, are called when the... Oh, go oh, ahead. I, I don't remember a Bluto in this scene. Uh, Willard, I, I remember just a dude like with a face mask with a chainsaw, uh, and she's like... Um, like, are you almost done or something, right? I could have like, sworn we saw Bluto kind of, like, leering at her at one point. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, okay. Willard, by the way. His character is named Willard. Yeah, right, right. But, um, I think. Oh, what would you think of, like, the gore here? I don't remember how it looked when the head came off. How did it look? Uh, I think you just see the neck with, like, some blood, like, spouting out. You don't really see the head anywhere. Uh, yeah, it was decent. Not, not one of the memorable ones. Okay. Yeah, I guess now that I, I'm realizing now, I watched this movie like a couple weeks ago too, so if I get yeah. anything wrong, just just yeah. interrupt me. Sure. There's a lot to keep track of and a lot that's forgettable. It's a complex movie. <laughs> it is. Strangely complex. And in some ways, it actually kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Uh, the police are called when the headless body is discovered, but the head is never found. The police assume immediately that it is one of the staff at the college that's committed the murder. Uh, And the film does some things that point the viewer towards assuming that it may have been a few people. That may be the gardener Willard. It may also be this professor we meet named Professor Brown, the anatomy professor. Uh, We also meet the dean, who is the one primarily communicating with the police about the investigation. So we've got a murder mystery on our hands, and we're pointed towards multiple possibilities of who the murderer could be. Mm-hmm. And the next hey, character we meet, go ahead. Oh, one more name I'd throw in there. Uh, and I don't know if this jumped out to you, but in the opening scene, when there's mention of his dad being like in the army or whatever. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. Is that supposed to be kind of like a red herring? Sure. I think it could be a red herring. Yeah. His okay. dad's away. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, the next character we meet is a student named Kendall, and we see him get past the note from a fellow student instructing him to meet her at the pool later, and we see our black-gloved killer again pick up the note after Kendall tosses it into the waste bin. In the library the killer, when, like, everyone's around, right? <laughs> right? He's just <laughs> walking on through. I mean, I guess yeah. you wouldn't think twice if you just saw somebody with black gloves in the library. You don't know... <laughs> It's yeah. the killer. I guess, yeah, black gloves are commonplace. Just think, oh, he's picking up that trash, being a good Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, So, yeah, you presume the killer reads this note to find out that this young co-ed will be at the pool later. So, sure enough, we get a scene of this girl swimming topless. The killer shows up, grabs her head with a pool net, and then kills her with a chainsaw, which he swings, but we do not see make any contact. Um. We then see the killer lugging a body part in a trash bag into a giant walk-in cooler where he also has the skateboarder's head stowed away. And Kendall, of course, arrives on the scene to get some with this girl at the pool, only to find a bloody chainsaw and the girl's corpse. 
The gardener also arrives on the scene, and when he notices that Kendall has seen the bloody chainsaw, he chases after Kendall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because kind of runs into like a hallway or something. Yeah, and then he's ambushed by the police, yeah. and he attempts to violently fight off the police. Yep. This is such a... Wasn't, wasn't this like a really clumsy sequence? It was very clumsy. Clumsily done, yeah. Yeah, Just it's... Odd. Uh, it's so odd. Like the whole, uh, when the killer is in there, uh, there's like this like saxophone, like kind of sleazy music playing, which is, is kind of funny. And then, yeah, the kill happens. Then, uh, when the gardener Willard walks in there, he flips the lights on and Kendall's like kind of hiding or, or something like really awkwardly, like behind a pole. And it's just like, like, uh, this really like kind of awkward, awkward, uh, encounter. And yeah, the, just the way the scene plays out is so bizarre. <laughs> and yeah, and then shortly after this scene, even though we never saw the chainsaw make contact, we now see a pretty gory pile of human remains sitting next to the pool. Limbs and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then the police bring in the professor of anatomy <laughs> to get his opinion. <laughs> and they say, do you think this could have been done with that chainsaw over there? <laughs> like, you've got a woman chopped to bits and a bloody chainsaw right next to her. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, no, no, we really, come here, we want your opinion on this. Yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. He, he's like, I'm not a pathologist, which I'm pretty sure pathologists aren't the right people, right, that would uh, diagnose that kind of thing. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd call being cut up into mul- multiple pieces a pathology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. I think that like it infers like a telescope or something. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That, that was the, the the crazy interaction. That's funny. The gore in this scene is pretty good, though. I think they use a lot of like blood and guts from a slaughterhouse to do the effects in many parts of this movie. Sure. You mean like that? Like the body parts you see here, like piled up. Yeah, yeah, pretty gnarly, right? Yeah, yeah, that looked pretty good. Yeah. So after this murder, the dean and the police department decide to put an undercover officer on the campus to try to find out who the killer is. And for this job, they choose Mary Riggs, a former tennis star. She's going to come in and pose as the girls' tennis coach for the college. <laughs> Which is <laughs> this makes no sense, right? A ridiculous scenario. Uh, yeah. I would file that under possible porn scenarios, like this famous <laughs> beautiful tennis star comes to become your tennis coach at the college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do really feel and like there was like an a, undercover cop. Yeah, there was an argument going on behind the development of this movie where like someone was trying to like make this a porno and someone wasn't, and I, I feel like you see some of that coming through here. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. in the script, she was supposed to hook up with Kendall, and then she declined to film that scene. Oh, that's hilarious. I think there are a few scenes like that where they wanted like people to be naked and they, they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. There's an aerobic scene that they really wanted the women to be naked for. And yeah. Yeah. What, one other question for you here. Uh, he like w- when he makes this decision, like I'm going to put uh, someone in undercover, he says two people. But later on, later on, it only turns out to be one. Do you think like that was like uh, they had to like improvise or something or like was it were they initially like planning two and then uh, they had to pull that back to one or something? What? What do you think happened there? Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a continuity issue. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what, why they did that. Or maybe there was another one who was so undercover that not even we as the viewer knows. <laughs> I know. It was just like a twist. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so let's see. 
the students, none of the students know about this, and the police make sure of it, except for Kendall, who they decide to trust. And the lieutenant even says of Kendall, a college student he had never met before until these murders started happening, I trust him. I'd stake my life on him. (laughs) Do we know why Kendall is in this position here? It's so weird. Yeah. No, not at all. He becomes like, yeah. He's like James Bond or something. Women are just like asking him to like meet them to hook up. <laughs> the, the police trust him as their man on the inside. I know. He's I know. just like the shit. I know. And I think they try to explain it by giving like the cop that one line like, oh, I had a really long talk with him and he's, uh, he's a good guy or something. And it's he's just like, good. he's good. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> I know. That was, that was wild that they just brought him in like that. Um, so let's see, later another woman is killed after her aerobics class. She has her arm sawed off. Uh, I thought TV that was a really reporter. cool kill and like a good like buildup of suspense. It was. It was a pretty long stalking scene. Um, that's often, I think you and I both have that complaint with slashers a lot of times is that somebody just steps onto the screen and kills somebody a lot of the time. But I think this movie, it drew some things out every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, had a few kills that had, like, good suspenseful buildups. Yeah. Um, a TV reporter roaming around the school is murdered on a waterbed. Do you have any idea why there was a waterbed and why she was on it? Uh, I know why there was a waterbed, because, like, one of the earlier scenes when there, we, we see a group of kids talking, and the one line is thrown in there, like, oh, did you hear they got the waterbed? Have you ever had sex on a waterbed? It's amazing. So they kind of, like, foreshadowed that that waterbed's going to come back in the future but that's the only reason that I think it's there because they someone felt the need to throw a waterbed into the plot of this film <laughs> again they were hoping for more porn scenarios <laughs> yeah exactly we already got the waterbed just to cover close <laughs> <laughs> now I it like that yeah. I like that that pretend narrative going on in the background <laughs> it's like yeah. the three like creative leaders on the film trying to do it and everyone else like no yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> not sure if that makes sense from a plot perspective. <laughs> but this kill's pretty cool. She's stabbed through the back of her head and out of her mouth, which yeah, I think we've seen in a couple other movies. I I always find it very to be a cool kill when that happens. I don't, I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I love the way like she's also like dragged. Uh, like the last thing we see is her being like dragged off the waterbed, and like uh, yeah, it's a pretty gruesome kill. Yeah, it's a pretty violent, gory movie. This film is unrated. It never went through the MPAA, so um, yeah, it's no holds barred in many many ways. Yeah, there's yep. there's more nudity and more violence than some other slashers in this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of refreshing. Yeah, um, another student is murdered, and the killer saws her in half. Usually, there are body parts missing from the final. Uh, death scene, right? They they don't. Is it me or do they not like go too far in explaining that that's happening? That there's always some body part taken away. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it isn't. I think we're left to c- draw that conclusion by the way. Like he takes certain body parts with him and like leaves some behind. Yeah, yeah, and uh, man, this woman who's sawed in half, you just see her torso and her guts are spilling out. Um, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I, I thought then, this was one of the best kills. This was an awesome kill. Agreed. And then Mary Riggs, <laughs> after witnessing <laughs> it, <laughs> screams bastard into the night three times. And three it's just, times. 
<laughs> really drawn out, silly, quotable line. Yeah. So yeah. Oh man, that was I, I don't know what to think of that, man. What, what did you think? I thought it was great. I mean, I think we'll talk about it in this review, but the movie just like it does what it needs to do to be the movie that it is, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Yeah, I just I can't tell how much of this is purposeful versus like uh with someone trying to make a good movie here, but uh yeah, we can right. circle back on that. I think it's a beautiful, confusing blend. Yeah, yep. Um, so somewhere in the midst of all this, Mary Riggs is snooping around campus at night, and from around the corner comes a man who begins attacking her with kung fu. This is our <laughs> man, Bruce Lee, with one E. With one E. <laughs> she finally bests him with a kick to the nuts, and Kendall comes upon the scene and is like, oh, it's my kung fu professor. What are you doing out here, Professor Chow? Yeah. And then he responds, <laughs> I'm out jogging and suddenly I'm on ground. Must be something I eat. Bad chop suey. So long. <laughs> and it's just embarrassing. It's terrible. And right? ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That's so bad. Totally oh terrible. I mean, yeah. it's just so silly, too, that just because the producer had worked with this guy in the past, he's like, hey, why don't you come in on this movie? We'll throw in a scene where you attack yeah. a woman for no good reason. I know, and like totally typecasted as well, right? Like stereotypes. It's pretty, uh, yeah, it's, pretty racist as well. Yeah, bad yeah. chop suey. I mean, that's that's pretty extreme. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was a hard <laughs> scene to watch. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see. Every once in a while, throughout these kills, we've seen the killer in black gloves assembling the puzzle and storing women's body parts in the walk-in cooler. So yeah, I guess you know he's he has taken some body parts away. Yeah. Hey, um, do you think uh, with the woman who was killed in the elevator, uh, we see the shoes and then right after uh, the police come, like everyone comes on the scene. Do you think as the viewer, we're supposed to know at that point who the killer is? Because there's only one person with like that pair of pants and that shoe that shows up there. Ah, uh, you and your fashion noticing. I yeah. didn't oh. catch that per se, but it is a little bit. I think you can assume here due to the timing that everyone emerges on the scene that it might be yeah who it is yeah yeah and like his arrival like seems kind of suspicious like he kind of walks out like brushes brushes his pants down right and then he's like right. told someone's it so yeah i was wondering if the intent here was it's like oh that's that's the dude right there but i don't know yeah yeah it may, may have been a, a clue um so as mentioned before, the police think it may be one of the staff at the college who's doing these murders. So they enlist who else but Kendall, the most trusted college student in the world, to help <laughs> them go through some files at the police station. Over some and Wendy's. Then, and eat some Wendy's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Underneath Dude, a picture of President Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Did Wendy's sponsor this film or something? Because I, I feel like they went out of their way to keep like having the Wendy's thing be on screen. Was there another Wendy's moment? Uh, no, but the, the, this scene, like just how, uh, how much Wendy's there is. In, oh, in how prominent <laughs> Wendy's was in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. And the way like he keeps like drinking this out of this Wendy's cup, which I, I don't know if that's a normal thing people do. Yeah. It kind of made me want some Wendy's. Yeah. Yeah. That worked. So they uncover something about the Dean when going through these files that makes them realize that he changed his name. And as a kid, his mother was chopped up. So they wonder if this has somehow affected his mind. They start heading for his quarters, and we're cross-cutting now between their discovery of this fact and the dean's quarters where he's invited Mary Riggs in for a drink, which he has drugged. 
He's getting ready to cut off her feet when in barge two police officers and your boy Kendall. <laughs> of course. And the officers, of course he's there. Yeah. The officers shoot the dean dead before he can stab uh, nearly catatonic Mary, who soon recovers from the drug the dean gave her. Um, and this scene just reminds me how much we've seen and talked about these finales where we're cross-cutting between someone about to be murdered and the police on their way to help. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, we've just, we see that a lot. We've talked about it a lot. We talked about yeah. it in Silence of the Lambs. The black just last phone. weekend on Black Phone, yeah. yeah. And also, Even, by the way, I forgot to mention, the the Black Phone kind of took a page out of Silence of the Lambs book and how they did that scene. I, I won't spoil it here. but Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw did that. the same thing. The Saw burning the a thing. while back. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's just common common thing in filmmaking, but uh, it's, yeah. it's funny how effective and common it is. Misery does that really well, too. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm always kind of conflicted on that because in one sense you're pulling away from the momentum of what's happening with the murderer and the victim. Uh, but then I guess it's cool because you're bringing in an outside angle. Like how, how do you feel about that stuff? I, I think it really works. I think we got into this argument on one of these past episodes, but I think it really works because it creates more urgency with so many of the other kills in the movie, you know, like, okay, that's a no name character and she's probably going to die. But with a kill like this, you're thinking, okay, like she might make it. She might not. I see the hope coming and will they, or won't they get there in time? You may really know. Okay. Of course it's the conclusion and she'll make it. But you know, the part of you that suspends your disbelief when you're watching a work of fiction is kind of left wondering. And, and getting more suspense as, as you see both things happening simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I think if done right, yeah, you're right. You can play to both angles there. I think what can pull away from some tension and become frustrating is when shows like Stranger Things or Game of Thrones are telling multiple stories at the same time that may or may not even be <laughs> happening simultaneously or be super related to each other, and they yeah. pull away just when you're about to discover something big or just mm. when... The action's about to happen, and then they catch up with another group of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah, I think I think switching between back back and forth like they do here is much better than that kind of thing where you're just left dangling, not yeah. knowing what happened for a while. And I get it with those type of shows, and I think it would maybe not be as good of a show if you did it differently. But after a while, it's like, oh my gosh, come on, especially. Sorry, I'm venting some Stranger Things season four <laughs> frustration, but it's yeah. like long <laughs> oh so long man yeah drawn out <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah game of thrones too was like pretty guilty of that like you'd see something really cool and then like it, they wouldn't come back to it like three episodes later for sure yeah it's frustrating um we're wrapping up the film let's see where were we oh, okay the cop leans on a bookshelf in the dean's quarters and it spins around and hanging on the other side of the bookshelf is a bunch of women's body parts sewn together to make a complete body and this monstrosity falls right on top of Kendall. He's freaking out and trying to squirm out from under it. And this scene is just amazing. I rewound mm-hmm. it and watched it again. This thing looks so gross. All these oh, the body together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much. It's like the head's like kind of more, way more rotten than the rest of it. Yeah, they're all like varying degrees of decay. It's It's really gross and kind of funny at the same time. Yeah. Um... So everyone's kind of like, holy shit, that was wild. And they're kind of catching their breath. And then the corpse reaches up with long fingernails (laughs) 
and tears into Kendall's crotch and just crushes his genitals into a bloody oblivion. And we end with a freeze frame on Kendall's screaming face. And that is the end of the movie. Why this thing is alive and yeah. why it can just tear Grand right balls. through Kendall's jeans and <laughs> yeah. like crushes balls in there. its I hand, I don't know. I know. I think Phil at the guts on this movie just like gave up around like being a having like a coherent story or plot or something. This is <laughs> you just know what? Wild. Let's just do this at the end. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is yeah. the second undercover cop they mentioned earlier. Oh yeah. <laughs> they put the second undercover cop as the dead bodies in the <laughs> behind the library. That's good. <laughs> you just hang here. Yeah. <laughs> When we say grab nuts, just grab nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that was wild. That was wild. Um, I'm going to go right to a review from Alex McClevy of the AV Club who wrote that the movie manages to luck into that ideal combination of over-the-top bloodshed, gratuitous nudity, an unintentional absurdity for which enthusiasts of the genre are perpetually on the hunt. Mm. And I think whether you like this movie or not, I think that quote sums up the movie perfectly for those of you who are listening but haven't seen the movie. It's just this really weird combo, and it kind of works. But yep. do you agree with that? Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of those comments. Uh, yeah, somehow it works, uh, oddly enough. But it is, like, at the end of the day, like, a, a trash film, though, isn't it? It is a trashy film. Like, it's not necessarily made very well. Mm-hmm. It's also not made terribly. Like, it's not egregiously bad. You're not, like, rolling your eyes at the editing or the filmmaking qualities alone they aren't great but they're not like oh my god it's mostly what they choose to do and put in the movie that you're just like what (laughs) why is this college student being trusted why is there an undercover tennis pro yeah why did just she scream bastard three times like that in the middle of the night i I don't know man I, I think there are elements of this film, like 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 you're calling out, that that are egregious, like on the plot side and uh, some of the acting and some of the dialogue. Uh, but I, I mean, like yeah, to your point, like the filmmaking itself and like the camera direction and stuff, like yeah, they they were able to like point a camera in the right area. Uh, but like even like the dubbing and everything, like it seems like everything else is kind of egregious, isn't it? I don't know, man. I mean, the the acting isn't good, but it's not to me. It's not horrible. I mean. I've been watching, and I am far from an expert. So many of our listeners know way more about like gritty 80s slashers than I do. But mm-hmm. as I've been watching more of these, this isn't that much worse <laughs> or lower in quality than some of its peers. <laughs> it's not and the dubbing, honestly, I think the dubbing is better than most movies from this time period that are dubbed. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess I don't have enough uh, films to compare to, but yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. There'd be far more worse in this genre. Yeah. But I mean, like, is, is that what you compare it to? Is like uh, genre work, or do we compare it to like other films in like the early 1980s and like how it stands as like a Hollywood uh, released film? Well, I think a little bit of both, right? I, in, in some ways, I think that's why you can look upon the movie favorably because in some ways, if you compare it to its peers, cheap, like random, not super recognizable slasher movies, and I know a lot of you are huge fans of this movies, but 
but like you know the average movie fan who's not necessarily that into horror would have no idea what pieces is mm-hmm. if you compare pieces to other movies of this time period that aren't very recognizable titles it is pretty similar in quality yeah it's lower quality than some of the bigger budget slashers like a my bloody valentine or a friday the 13th but then if you're comparing it to those what this movie has is the fact that it never went through the MPAA. So many of those are so chopped up that not only do you miss out on some of the more gratuitous scenes, whether it be violence or nudity, but the editing itself looks bad at the end of the day because it's not the way it was originally intended to be. It's chopped up so hard that the cuts don't flow smoothly and even some of the story doesn't even flow together as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. For a low-budget film, like, this one knocks out of the park with the, the gore and, and some of the creative kills. Uh, yeah, no, no complaints there. But I don't know if the low-budget explains, like, the bad plot narrative or the, you know, like, half-baked characters or the terrible acting. Um, like, there were just, like, a lot of weaknesses, which I, I don't know if you can uh, throw at it being a low-budget film. Yeah, I mean... Those are weaknesses, I think, that just come from the people who are working on it being people who work on exploitation <laughs> films that never had to pay much attention to plot. Yeah, sure. But I think yeah. those are also things that work in its favor because it's just so bonkers and out there. Yeah, yeah, it's bonkers and out there, yeah. Well, but, you don't think it could be bonkers and out there but like still have like a, a cohesive storyline? I think the storyline is cohesive. It just doesn't necessarily make sense jive with reality uh yeah like what are there specific plot elements that don't make sense within the movie's world if you can (laughs) if you can disregard the fact if you can just assume we live in a world where kung fu teachers attack people and have horribly like stereotypical things to say about chop suey yeah and tennis pros are hired to go undercover and a cur- murderer is on the loose at a college, but nobody tells the students, and for some reason decides to just <laughs> to go undercover instead of like keeping people safe. So, if you assume all these things are just the reality, then is the movie that much of a stretch? Just ignore all of it. <laughs> just ignore all of it. <laughs> but I'm like, just. I guess I'm maybe arguing uh, terminology. Maybe like hmm. it's not that it's not cohesive. It's just nonsensical. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not. Right yeah, I yeah may, maybe co- cohesive isn't the right word, but even like just from like a basic storyline, like if 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 we sat down and told each other stories, uh, there's no it's, there's no real like main character here, right? We have a villain who we don't really know like what uh, their angle is. Like he's the dean and he's trying to keep this thing a secret, doesn't want to ruin the reputation of the, sc- of the school, but at the same time he's out there just like murdering people for some reason. Um, you've got a reporter who shows up, you have like a psychologist, you've got a tennis coach who's gone, uh, undercover. So it, it, yeah, the, the Kung Fu person. So even just from like a basic story premise, uh, it, it, none of it like adds up really to like, and, and I think like it kind of takes away from this being like a A to B storyline. I disagree. I, I think it, I think it goes A to B to C pretty swimmingly. I mean, it's. There's a lot of weird nonsense along the way, but nothing, like, even the waterbed thing where I was like, where the hell did that came from? You told me they foreshadowed it, <laughs> foreshadowed it, and you're right. So the, yeah. 
there are reasons for things that happen to happen, but there are ridiculous reasons. Yeah, I guess. But like, so why why was why was he killing people? What's what's the reason for that? I mean, there's no great reason for that, but there's no great reason for that in many movies. Like, something mm. snapped. He chopped his head. Well, you can relate to him better than anybody, it sounds like. <laughs> he chopped up his mom when she walked in on the well, porn yeah, because that, of this, the shame and the frustration of not completing the puzzle. Yeah, that's understandable. But, like, what about the rest of the film, though? Like, uh, he goes, like, 40 years, doesn't kill anyone, then he's a dean and he's trying to keep, like, a, a profile there and a reputation in the college. And just, like, a girl smashing into a mirror... Turns him into this like a uh, killer out of nowhere. Yep, it it flashes him back to when the mom shattered the picture of the dad against the mirror in his bedroom, and to the you know the varying pieces of the puzzle. And now mm-hmm. he's back in that mindset. He's he's back at it again. But you know when you see him at the end doing like that final kill, and like now we know who the killer is, and he's like talking to Mary. He seems like very with it, and like. Uh, it, it just doesn't add up that like suddenly he's been triggered and he's going around killing people, collecting body parts, but, uh, he's still like very, uh, sane. So I, I don't know if we ever got like this vibe from him that like he's lost it or like he's, uh, you know, been, been triggered emotionally. I wouldn't have thought that we'd be debating the <laughs> psychological state of the Dean in this what? bonkers what? nonsensical movie. <laughs> Even though you had a psychologist literally come into this film and say, I want to understand the psychology of the killer, like, you probably know him. Oh, I don't know him, or do I? (laughs) Come on. They put that out there. They're like, there's a psychology to this. And then they didn't deliver on that. So I I just feel like this was written by, like, a five-year-old who, like, just kept changing their mind every, like, plot of the way like oh um now i think that we should throw in like a waterbed killer now we should throw in a reporter and a lot of it maybe like was done like in retrospect and that's why like they had to go back and do some dubbing so that they could explain things that happened later on uh it just it, it didn't feel like this this movie like was a linear progression while we've got you all riled up uh <laughs> did you notice that the killer was wearing a hat and how did, did you feel about the hat uh i think i felt actually pretty good about it you know I, I when i went to watch it the second time i was reading my notes from the first one and i saw that's how you wear a hat with an exclamation mark and i didn't know what, <laughs> what i was referring to but then yeah when he was like stalking that uh that um aerobatics cl- or no, the aerobics class uh i thought he wore it pretty well and like pretty menacing uh, hat there what, what did you think I I think nothing of a hat other than oh I wonder what Ashton's gonna think. <laughs> you were also fine with the black phone hat. You barely even noticed. So I think your hat thing is slowly fading away. We should start checking out some Nightmare on Elm Street sequels yeah. while this condition this, has subsided. <laughs> while your inflammation good, is low. This might be a good window. Yeah, but but you don't think like these guys wearing hats is a lot different than like Freddy Krueger wearing a hat? Like just it fits their personality and like what they're doing a lot more, doesn't it? Even the burning guy. Like, uh, I, those are the type of people that like pull off hats. I don't, I don't feel like a, a joker, like a Freddy Krueger pulls it off. Uh, he literally can't pull it off because it's melted to his head. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> it is fused to his skin. Um, That's yeah, fair. you know, I, it's, I'm realizing now I read somewhere that the killer was made out to look like the comic book character, the shadow. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, Interesting. Uh, I also noticed that the writer, oh, where is that little tidbit of info? So Roberto Loyola, he was one of the writers, and he directed a lot of 
porn and exploitation films under the pseudonym John Shadow. So oh. I wonder if he is the, a fan of The Shadow. Yeah, that's pretty on the nose, right? Like he's sticking it pretty far. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> that could just be a coincidence. Nah, that, that, that sounds about right, given uh, what we know about this person from this film. Um, I would, what do you, oh, go ahead. No, you, you go, you go. Oh, so, so you don't, uh, so for you, like this was bad, but like, uh, artistically bad. Is that right? It's so bad. It's good. Yeah. It's, I don't even want to know if I'd call it artistically bad because I feel like technically it's not nearly as bad as some movies of its ilk. Like these people had worked on a lot of trash, but they had worked on a lot of movies like they they didn't know what they were doing like you said they they know where to point the camera and how to make a film um yeah sorry what was your question again oh like like it sounds like this was like a tolerable level of bad for you or like you kind of you could appreciate the badness of this one yes yes and say what you will about how it's written but it really zips along like the runtime's mm. an hour and 25 minutes and the kills just keep on happening and they're pretty outrageous. So yeah. I think the pacing is pretty good. And the plot I think is pretty good, even though it's yeah. just highly unlikely. Sure. An unlike plot. I, I agree with you. The pacing is really good. Kills uh, deliver. And uh, even though you have like a bunch of half baked characters, it's a fun like mix of characters, like between the detective, this college kid, the undercover person, the Dean, uh, like they have all these people in there, which kind of make it fun. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, man, we should watch more Jalo movies. Like, I'd like to talk more about how this has the modus operandi of a Jalo, but I feel like I need to see more to speak on that intelligently. We need we need to review like Deep Red by Dario Argento and and some sure. other ones. Yeah, yeah, we should. I mean, uh, it's interesting to compare this because, uh, like, you would compare this like to Suspiria or something. Um, Suspiria people technically don't call a, a Jalo film, but um, I think basically just the black gloves and the dubbing are two things that's like, okay, this is very Jalo. It's not nearly okay. as stylized or visually artful as a lot of Jalo films. But yeah, definitely. It is an interesting example of how we separate Jalo from slasher movies, even though they're really kind of the same genre, or like one yeah. genre may have beget the other. Um, so it's just interesting. I, I'd like to watch more of those and talk more about those with you at some point. Yeah, there's the whole like who done it vibe, which kind of remind me of uh, some Jalo films. Is, is that a common yeah, theme? Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. another important aspect to point out. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to pick up more on that genre. But yeah, generally I do. I do like the artisticness of those, and I felt like that was like not, nothing jumped out as on this film of like an artistic intent. Um, sure. But, yeah. This this is not an artistic film. Yeah, but the gore is in a way. Gore, I mean, the yeah. gore is well done. Yeah, gore is well done. Yeah, though, I, you know, on this artistic thing, though, uh, circling back to what you were saying in the beginning about the um, overlap or commonalities between this film versus like a porno, did you find like I, I do think there's like a lot of like uh, sexualized violence in this. A lot of it, like half naked women, women being stalked. Even the way the guys like holding the chainsaw half the time. Makes it look like someone like attacking people with a boner a little bit. Did, did you catch that? Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. If you catch like his shadow, like whenever he's walking around with the chainsaw or like how he whips it out in the elevator, it just seems like very uh, bonerish uh, in terms of like 
You, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know what bonerish means. <laughs> yeah, you seen one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, so I was wondering, is there like a comment here, or is there some kind of thing about like a uh, sexual violence uh, happening here? That like, sure, you're trying to bring, bring it back to your your penetration. Oh yeah, yeah, camp. exactly. The, yeah, for for slash yeah, I, I thought this one sc- camp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be a good porno to make. With, that would be with a good these one, man. Producers. Yeah, we'll pick these guys up. They'd be all about it. Yeah. Uh, did, did, what, what did you think? Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Um, but boy, you watched this movie twice back to back. It sounds like you picked up on more than I did on a lot of stuff. So I'll look for that next time. I don't think yeah. I. I think I'll watch this movie again at some point in the not too distant future. It's a fun rewatch, actually. I was all surprised. Picked up on a few more things. The other thing, uh, building on the boner uh, theory, is the final death of his balls getting ripped out. Uh, so it kind of made me think, like, you had this whole movie where this guy with the chainsaw, which might have been a stand-in for a boner, was killing women. Then at the end, the guy gets his dick ripped off. It's like, it kind of comes full circle. Um, did the lack of female agency in this movie bother you? I mean, it really, it's pretty, if you're looking to point to slashers as just being vehicles for violence against women and misogyny, then this this movie will prove your point. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of those slashers, you have the final girl who like fights back somewhat. And in this one, your final girl, if we can call her Mary, she like can't even fight back. And it takes like this college dude to like come into her and like save her. And even like the cops, like the whole time are like, you got to look out for her. And she's like this, this woman who's like a tennis player and an undercover cop, just like totally being, I, I thought like, uh, cut down in this film. Yeah, for sure. Kendall literally saves her on a motorcycle at one point. It's oh, just, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you make a really good point, to be honest. Like so much of the beginning and the psychology of the Dean is tied up in like his sexuality and his sexual desires, the sexual desires of a a man. And right. there's even like a mother complex you could weave into it as well. And then totally. that having that sexual moment interrupted uh, could represent sexual frustration, which yep. he takes out with sexual violence with uh, his bonerish quote his boner unquote chainsaw. chainsaw. Yeah. And then uh, at the end, the man who's represented like the peak of masculinity, like sleeping with many different women, getting yep. a teacher, God knows how much older than him to flirt with him, saving her on a motorcycle. Yeah. He gets his genitalia crushed. Yeah, exactly. By all the women who have been the victims of misogyny and had no agency in this movie and were just slaughtered on screen for our enjoyment. They're compiled Holy together. Shit. They team up to rip out the genitals oh. of the most masculine character in the movie. Yeah. The ultimate dick. Interesting. Yeah. Very man. interesting reading. All right. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there could be that. I, I think that, that, that there could be a that, that might have been purposeful. Maybe this is all about uh, penises and stuff. It's very, very uh, So now you're giving the writers some credit here. Yeah, I want to. I really want to because I, I think the way you just described it there, that sounds pretty cohesive, actually. It does. It does. I, you've even got me stepping over to your side of the, uh, you know, knives are, knives and penetrating weapons are just phallic symbols in, in horror movies side yeah, of the de- debate. So def- Yeah, definitely felt like that in this film. All right, well, now that we've each seen this movie a little bit differently in the last minute and a half here, on a scale of zero to five aggressive kung fu teachers, what do you give this movie? 
Uh, so I think we talked about all the strengths and weaknesses. So I'm, I'm going to go two and a half uh, aggressive kung fu teachers. Uh, it was it was a fun watch, good pacing, uh, great uh, kills and, and body stuff, but terrible acting, terrible dubbing. Sound oh, soundtrack was so bad, and then uh, yeah, a lot of the characters were just kind of dumb. But yeah, what about you? All right. Well, I think some of your qualms with the movie are undeniable. It's not a high quality movie, but I still think it's very entertaining. It kept my interest throughout the whole thing. It's really easy to watch at the same time and easy mm-hmm. to rewatch. Um, it's outrageous. It's super violent and uh, and very entertaining. These out of nowhere moments are entertaining. So <laughs> I give it three uh, three point five out of five. So nice, cool. Still not perfect, but I, I like it quite a bit actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could see it both ways. Like, it's definitely a, a great and fun film. Um, I could but, see uh, myself giving it like a four the more I watch it. Ooh, yeah. I don't know about that, man. That's, that's generous. <laughs> for, yeah, I guess, yeah, four might be too generous. For the type yeah. of movie it is, you can't, I don't know that I'd ask much more of a like sloppily assembled, well, again, I, I, I hesitate to even call it sloppily assembled, but yeah, uh, a cheesy and sleazy 80s slasher, I don't know that. I would ever give a movie like this a five or I don't know. Fours might even be hard to come by for movies mm. like this for me, but yeah. Um, I, th- yeah. I think, I think that's one place where we might differ too. Cause uh, I, I know like, yeah, I, I hear you like you like to put it against other movies like this. And uh, if you compare it that way, like I'm sure it's pretty good, but I, I don't know if I fall into that school of like taking something outside of like where it sits. Uh, I, I get like not comparing. It's like a big budget Hollywood production, but uh, still kind of feel like you can't let them off t- too much off the hook uh, on things like a, a storyline or uh, a, something that makes sense. Um, I just think of it like the easiest way for me to describe it is like I if I'm rating a steak out of zero to five, like a, a five steak may not compare to a five like garlic bread you know what i mean oh, like different ty- yeah yeah Food they're categories. very different things so a five out of five garlic bread you wouldn't be like so you're saying that garlic bread is <laughs> as good as that perfectly cooked steak over there well no but it's garlic yeah. bread and that's a steak like yeah this but is it, the yeah. same score i gave to the conjuring this is yeah. not the conjuring at all but yeah i like the, them about the same for what they are do you think like horror movies are like like that level of like difference? Like, I mean, this is an '80s horror film. Uh, happens to be low budget. Um, is does it like get that much of a discount because of that? Or like that? I'm much not leeway? necessarily. I, I feel like you're you're viewing it as me like dumbing it down and and adjusting the whole scale and expectations. But yeah, I just view it as an entirely different dish than The Shining or. Misery or Silence of the Lambs or It Follows or the Babadook, like these are not similar products. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Now that we, when you compare it to those, yeah, much different. Um, yeah, I, I think I got to work on that one. Uh, come, come around on a viewpoint there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily you're wrong. I'm just defending my own my own point yeah and I, I yeah i guess like I, I do think there's like a universality to like good storytelling that's like regardless of uh outside factors or genre factors that should apply and uh i don't know but but then yeah to your to your point here like there's so much zaniness that like yeah do you give it credit for that 
Right, right. Like I would, like if it was, if they were telling that Willard guy, like, hey, keep one of your eyes like half closed the whole time and make this look the whole time. Or uh, if they were like sitting there, like having a laugh about all this, I could see like a total different rating on this movie, but it's hard to know what the intent was here. Sure. It's funny, man. I mean, coming up with an objective number for a movie, there's so many caveats in it, so many subjective elements that yeah, totally. different people weight differently. So it's right, interesting. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. All right, buddy. Do you have anything else to say about Pieces for now? No, nah, that's all I got. All right. Well, that has been our discussion on Pieces from 1982. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps other people find the show. Uh, if you really, really liked it, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the orange Patreon button to become a subscriber. For as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to some of our bonus content out there. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, horrormovieclub.com is the place to do that as well. There's a drop-down for social links. There's links to Twitter and Facebook. That's where we announce what movie we're covering next week. And there's a link for Discord where we got a whole little community talking about horror movies every day. You can come on there and talk about horror movies with us. Uh, you can email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. If you want some merch, you can Google Horror Movie Club Coaster Set. And you'll see what that's all about. Use the code MOVIECLUB to get a 15% discount on those. And until next time, if there's a killer loose on a college campus, maybe let the students know that this is happening and suspend classes instead of hiring a professional <laughs> tennis player to go undercover. <laughs> oh man, what playbook did that come out of? <laughs> That's crazy. What did they expect she was going to do? Like, just make another victim who's like an undercover cop? Right? Like, I mean, they were just willing to let more people die while she slowly figured out what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. That made no sense. That's crazy. No. No, it doesn't. I can't defend that. Yeah. But that's part of what is fun. That is. It sounds like it. <laughs> sounds I'll take it right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like that's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs>